Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Hey everyone, Yas here and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at the Coaches Net. Once again, that's at the Coaches Net. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey, guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A license football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Yas, and I've got a very special guest with me this morning. My guest today is Matt Whitehouse. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing very well, Yas. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Brilliant. No, I'm, 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 it's a, I'm pleased to have you on. It's, it's a pleasure for me, and I'm definitely looking forward to it. Just before we get cracking, Matt, uh, maybe just give a brief insight around who you are, what you do, and we'll go from there. Yeah, so obviously been coaching for probably feels like 20 years now, in fairness. Um, been in academy football for the last 12 years. Uh, spent a bit of time out in America coaching uh, out in, on, the, on the West Coast um, at university. Uh, did my degree, played football and coached there. And then kind of then from there, went out to America, coached for quite a few years, came back to England, worked at Curva Coaching for about six years. Uh, and in that time, then uh, joined Wolves Academy as well and coached there under 13s, 14s. Uh, spent a few years there and then got a job at Chesterfield 
to kind of um, put in place that whole program, to be honest with you. So it's a really good uh, opportunity for me to, to kind of take on um, a whole blank project almost and, and put in place, you know, my philosophy and thoughts and, and development ideas to develop players. And, you know, that I stayed there for six years uh, and we did some really, really positive stuff. Unfortunately, the club itself had, went for a tough period, um, which obviously didn't help the academy, but the players within it uh, had a really good experience. We uh, developed some really good players and it's good to see some of those now in the game doing really well as well, which is pleasing. Um, and now I'm at Coventry City, uh, YD phase lead. So oversee the 13s to 16s um, and yeah, doing some really positive things there and working with some really good players uh, in a really good environment with some really good staff. So yeah, things are really good. And Coventry as a team, uh, really stable in the championship, playing some really good football uh, back at the Rico uh, or the CBS now it's called. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's a really positive time to be part of the club uh, and things are going really well. So yeah, I'm really happy. But as a journey, I've been coaching for a long time with a lot of different age groups, a lot of different abilities, um, lots of experiences uh, and, and kind of develop my coaching philosophy through the way, really, uh, which I'm sure we'll probably touch on in our chat today. Definitely, definitely. And obviously there's a lot in there, Matt. You know, so first of all, thank you for sharing it with us. But, um, you know, as as with anyone, you know, we, we've all got different experiences, we've all got different uh, kind of um, philosophies, ideas, ways and what co which coaching maybe could, could or should look like and potentially some specialist areas. And obviously throughout your experiences, you know, you've had the experience of not only putting programmes together, but working across different phases as well as different continents. So, you know, just, just give us a brief insight around what does a Matt Whitehouse philosophy look like? Obviously, you had the opportunity to kind of implement some of that at Chesterfield and then we can kind of see where that goes from there. My my ambition really is to try and produce as good a player as we can, you know, individually. So how how good can they be? How skillful can they be? How confident are they? You know, how much of a risk taker can they be? How, how much their techniques are really strong? So that side of it is really important. Within that, then you're always in a, a team environment. So it's trying to produce really positive football teams who can play really well, but also to, to play attacking football that allows the creativity to come out. So we want to produce, you know, attacking players who score goals and take risks and create things and uh, and not so much keep the ball for keeping the ball's sake, but keeping the ball with a purpose. Do you know what I mean? Purposeful possession that allows us to go forwards, get into the final third and create really positive things, whether it's 1v1, uh, whether it's good combination play, but want players who are confident risk-taking who have got good creativity it's always been my big thing is trying to get the most out of players and push them to, to new levels instead of kind of stick with the functionality or, or be happy with average do you know what I mean we want players who can see potential to be really good and be excellent players and and look at the best ones and want to be that and not just think well we're in league one so we just want a league one player what does that mean do you know what I mean we want to produce young players who can be as, as good as they can be and then eventually they will have a level that maybe that works for them but can we aim for as good as we can and can we try and get the best out of them? And then within that, mm. the environment then has to tailor around it. So how you coach them, how you speak to them, the, the opportunities you give them in regards to being creative and taking risks and the fear of failure, not giving them that, you know, being real positive risk takers and with a real growth mindset are really important. Uh, so our whole culture then has to be around that. And obviously the coaches who work with those players have to believe in that and have to then kind of push that. You can still highly demand on them. Because if we're talking about high levels of elite development and trying to produce top ones, you've got to demand on them you've got to try and push those standards higher and you've got to get the details right in your coaching but you've also got to give them a lot of support and a lot of positivity to make them believe that they can do it um and obviously that support's a real big thing so my big thing is high support high demand mm. uh, you've got to know when it's there to do it you know yeah, but i think it's really important that you get both of them right 
Um, and I find for the better players, you've got to provide a lot of high demand, but also provide the support necessary. And that support mm -hmm. might be to push them and push them more. It might not be, oh, you're great. It might be, but it, it's always been around the player and giving them the support needed to keep challenging them and pushing them. Um, and that's holistic as well in regards to it's not just on the pitch, the off the pitch work, going through their clips, uh, showing, you know, going to a, a game and watching with players or watching a game online, uh, watching clips from a game. I'm really big on that because you're watching the best at it. Okay, and what are those little details that can help you as an individual, as a young player, develop those skills? Do you know what mm. I mean? They're teaching them and getting them on that journey, but making them wanting to learn, making them wanting to kind of embrace getting better. Um, mm. That's where I think the support element comes in. I think I think there's a few there's a few things in what you said there, and I, you know, I'm I'm actually quite pleased with what you've actually responded with because actually there's a, there's a lot for me to kind of jump on there. And, you know, I'm going to start by kind of really coming back to one of the initial points around. You know, we want the players to become as best as they can be. We're not just trying to produce players for League One. You know, I think the words that you used was, what is that? You know, um, which is quite interesting because obviously, you know, one of the debates I often have with coaches is um, recognising when to kind of, if you like, stay in your lane. Um, and what I mean by that really is recognising that as a coach, no matter what, you know, for the best of intentions, you can only take them to a certain point unless you are trying to stretch yourself beyond that point too. Um so, you know, let's talk about that a little bit, you know, because you talked there about, let's just say, for instance, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a League One academy. I've got access to seeing what that pathway looks like at a League One. Um, if I haven't yet experienced what it looks like beyond that, where do I get that from? Does that make sense? If You know, really yeah, absolutely. looking yeah. at where, what the next steps are, because, you know, one of the other bits that you talked about but is essentially the role of the coach. And, you know, the conversations I often have with people is, is this, is that for me, the role of the coach is quite simple. It's... You know, and it's, I say it's simple, but it's taken me in the best part of nearly two decades to get to this definition. But it's getting the players to a point or getting the participants to a point that they want to get to when they can't get there themselves. But also recognising that it's not based on what you can see them doing. It's not based on even what they can see themselves doing. But I think as a coach, you should stretch and challenge yourself to take them to the point which is above what you can see as the potential for them, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Like, if we're both on a journey as coach and player about trying to, how can we get better? As a coach, you should never be settled, think you know everything. You know what I mean? It's, the game's developing all the time. There's there's new ideas coming through. You know, sometimes that's a cycle, but there's always something that's new, fresh, that how can you in a, be innovative? And then that sometimes that's you experimenting as a coach then. So how can we improve? And the players then are on the journey with you. So it's not just like you know everything and the player might have ideas themselves. The key though is that both sets are aiming for to be better they haven't got this sense of i'm just i'm happy with average you know and if you can create a culture that everyone wants to be above that level i want to be as great as i can be mm. and obviously then it's the time that they put in and the commitment they show and that's a coach as well so we can invest ourselves in coaching courses or online learning do you know what i mean there's so much stuff out there that you can consume um you know to help you improve knowledge or to get some ideas. Study visits are really important for that. You go to clubs, you go to the top ones and you see, okay, what are they doing that's, that's different? And sometimes might not be doing that much different. Do you know what I mean? It might not be there's anything that revolutionary, but it might just be that the levels or the standard that club has recruited a higher level of player, perhaps. Mm. Uh, going back to the league one element though, you should never be restricted on the level you're at though. You know what I mean? So, so for me, if that club wants to develop top players, um, you might say so MK Dunn's, you know, Chef you um, have developed Harry Maguire and now he's playing England captain. You know what I mean? A lot of lads come through League One 
and they're playing England international football and Premier League because actually there's a pathway and the pathway is the key thing. So can we get players through the system with a re the relevant skills, really high level skills? Deli Ali is a good example. MK Dons then goes to Spurs. Obviously disappointing where his development has gone recently. But at one stage you're thinking, wow, this kid could be one of the best young players in the world. And he came through a League One academy. But he came through an environment that was about getting the best out of him. I think that's the key thing. I think the badge can sometimes um, ch change because of perceptions. Oh, you're only there. Oh, you're there. Wow. But then, and, but then that's a mentality thing. So as coaches, we've got to make sure that we don't get kind of like restricted by the where mm. we work and actually have standards and levels about what we expect. And that's on and off the pitch. That's discipline as well. That's what they should come with. We should be proud about where you are. And then you should obviously put that investment in. And so if you get that right and the pathways there, you get good players coming through your first team. They get experiences, they get opportunity, they develop. And then top clubs go, wow, he suits our skill set. And that's really the pathway. Do you know what I mean? There's a, there is a food chain in football. But, but I always think you're here to try and produce players to the top level. And if a top level want to get one of your lads, you're doing a really good job. Do you know what I mean? You must be doing something good. So I think you try and produce players for Cat 1 Champions League level. I think that that's what your ambition should be. And if they, they fall short of that, well, you might have a really good player still. Do you know what I mean? But sometimes if you kind of say, well, we're just going to produce something for League 2. Yeah. League 1, League 2, National League, they're, they're good levels. Do you know what I mean? There's good players in it. And the also, there's not, there's not that much difference between them if you really break it down. Not really. Sometimes so if you, if, you're, if you are producing a player and you're saying to yourself, well, I'm going to produce it for someone to go into the National League, actually... Why not take that step further and say, I'm going to go for League Two, League One instead and see where they end up? It ain't high, and then they probably might fall into that. Le but actually, the levels and the standards are going up in all those leagues all the mm. time. So there, there's a culture of lower league football. That's changing, do you know what I mean? And there's a lot more, there's a lot of good players starting to come through those levels. There's better quality of f facilities and surfaces, which means that the quality of football has risen. The National League has, has got some good teams in it, mm. and the ones who are coming out of it, they're good, they've got good players. Now, those players move up the levels themselves, and they've got ambition the same way as the coaches have. But the style of football quality of football quality of players is improving all the time across mm. the levels so we can't get restricted on kind of what we perceive as oh well he's not a premier league so we have to we can't aim for that level no mm. no as young players we should be giving them the best opportunity to be the best that, that they can be not yes. be restricted by the level that you perceive them at you know what i mean i think that's just really wrong and i think that's a disservice to the players you work with you know what i mean and, and it's an easy out sometimes as coaches to go oh well i can't can't get more from him because he's only here what but you've got a group of players let's push them yeah, and no, I'm so glad that you've mentioned that as well, because it kind of brings back to one of the questions I'm going to ask right at the start of what you were saying there around coaches being able to recognise um, what's next. Um, you know, you, you see, I see it so many times, and I'm probably sure you've experienced it as well, where you, you've got a player who's come to a club, he gets released, and it's like, well, why did he get released? Well, because he didn't improve on X, Y, Z. Well, he's been here for a number of years. Why has he not improved on that yet? Mm. And I think for me, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but I don't think coaches can take, take often take enough accountability for the fact that the players haven't developed as much as they maybe should or could have. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think there should be more onus and uh, emphasis on the idea that coaches should take more responsibility for the fact, actually, like, you know, coming back to one of my earlier points is I've gotten to this point. They're trying to get to this point, but I don't know what that looks like yet. So how do I get that insight? And obviously you talk there about, you know, potentially do study visits and things like that. And I think this is one of the things that I, you know, again, often discuss with, with coaches and, and individuals that I work with around the badge and the perception that the badge gives you is fantastic. We get that. And, but let's not, you know, let's not be um, misguided or misled by the fact that the badge means something. It doesn't, if that makes sense. And what I mean, what I'm really saying there is just because it's an elite environment doesn't necessarily mean there's, there's elite behaviors. 
And just because it's not an elite environment, i.e. it might be going from a Cat 1 down to a Cat 3, that those elite babies can't exist there either. So I think it's recognising that actually what is best practice, but not looking at a specific environment to go after that, but actually trying to quantify that and maybe rationalise that with actual evidence and you know visual representations of what that elite behaviour or elite environment is actually doing, if that makes sense. And, and I, think, I think the elite element can sometimes get um mistaken for being hard on a player like mean to a player no we can't do that here so for me elite environment is a player wants to come to your environment and they want to get better and they enjoy it so one of the things i'm really proud of is that when trialists come into us we one make them feel valued and one make them feel part of it and not 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 away from it they also go really enjoy it here like really good energy really positive you know really helpful new player in feels welcome why can't that be a norm? Do you know what I mean? But that's an environment that we're really proud of that we create for that, and that's for all the players then. But a trialist comes in, they think, wow, I really enjoyed it here. And a lot of them, when they don't, not all of them are successful, obviously. Go, Joe, I just want to say thanks because we really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed the experience. Now that's what we can offer. Um, we, as a Cat Two club, we can't offer everything that can one, Cat Ones can. But you can always control what you can do as a staff and how you treat people. Do you know what I mean? And that treating people goes a long way because if that player, going back to what you said about um okay we're going to release him because we don't think he can do this we had him for five years so what are we doing five years now if we value the players that we've got and actually think what are their development needs what where, where are we at with them we should be ongoing support now they might get to a stage where physically they might not be able to have it mentally sometimes they might be sure that you know that to that route to scholar to pro yeah it's not easy but along the way, you can do a lot of work with them. They're in a long time, two or three sessions a week, probably more than that, uh, one or two games a week. There's loads of chances for them to develop their skills, to get feedback and support, and to have that individual help. And I think sometimes, you know, I don't see it in our place, but I think we're really good at it, but they don't value the players enough. It's almost like um, if you're not if you're not one of the top ones, we don't really think you're that important. And how many times have we saw the middle of the group go to the top? Because if you all of a sudden they they emerge, they have a growth spurt, they mentally push on, they might do some extra bits away from the academy, and all of a sudden, wow, where's he come from? But why don't we put value on all of them along the way instead of just the top three that we perceived as the best ones? The self-fulfilling prophecy-wise, mm. if you put your focus on the top three, those top three have got the best chance but you also might neglect in 12 players that also could have done well. So why don't you as a staff, and you have got the opportunity to do it, focus on all those players' development and try and help them all through it. Um, of course, look, in a game, certain players are going to be different positions that are going to you know, bring out the best in certain ones. But I'm just a big believer in helping every player you've got in your environment at the time. If it comes to a point where maybe you think they've, they've reached the, the top of the level that maybe they can be at you, then okay, you just say that in a nice way. Do you know what I mean? But you still help them along the journey. You don't make those players feel like, I don't want to go. Do you know what I mean? And that's mm-hmm. one of my big things is that people come to our academy and really enjoy it. In, uh, they they think it's fun. They think it's good energy. And they're getting developed and helped. And actually, but it was also really demanding and really competitive and really high intensity. Do you know what I mean? It, it, but they leave feeling, wow, I love that tonight. And every day mm-hmm. is that. Do you know what I mean? Positive energy is a big thing for me. Bring positive 100%. energy. You tend to do some good stuff with your environment. 100%. And I, and I kind of just, just to build on that, then, you know, there's going to be a lot of coaches that are listening to this that might not be necessarily working in academy environments or might be working at slightly, uh, you know, smaller clubs where there's less resources, less staff. So, you know, what, what, what would be some of your tips there around how to maybe set that positive environment, make sure that you're getting across everyone? Because, you know, some of the things I often speak to coaches about is making sure that, um, as a minimum, we want to be able to interact with every single player in the in the, in the session. No matter how long your session is, whether it's 60 minutes, whether it's 90 minutes, whether it's two hours, even if you get 45 minutes with them, you need to make sure that you've been able to interact with every single player in that session. And there's got to be something constructive. 
Um, it doesn't mean you can't give them negative, you know, you know, any any sort of negative feedback or constructive, you know, criticism around what they're doing, but make sure there is a positive interaction of some sort where they can see that actually it wasn't just a, a simple hi, or it just wasn't, a, you know, you completely ignore them. There's something there that they can take away and say, actually, coach gave me something to think about in that session. Yeah, and I think that is one of your biggest challenges as a coach is to be able to get around every player and have a certain relationship with each player that will be different. You might talk FIFA with some player. You might talk about their recent game. You might talk about school. You might know some of their hobbies. You know, you might know them because obviously, like, it, it might be your, you know, one of your family's mates. There's got to be something that you know that player that you can then relate to and have that little chat. You know who that that team they support. Oh, did you watch Chelsea last night? Oh, did you watch Man City? Oh, I thought they did brilliant. Oh, you know, there's so much you can do. The key for me though is the time that you've got. So. My biggest tip for any coach at any level is get your session design and get your organization right. Because if you have designed your session accordingly, then you have less time to then kind of mess about during the session. And by mess about, I mean the time between transitions between a session and the next practice. So if it takes you five or six minutes to set up your next practice, you've lost a lot of the lads because they need to keep, one, you've lost a lot of time, but also you've lost their engagement. The biggest challenge as a coach is to transition between practices so seamlessly that it's almost a 30 second drink break and bam, you're straight back in. And the coach then has to have had that plan and design sorted. Now, if it's an hour session, you've got to maximize that hour fully. But the same with us as a two hour session, we want to make sure that that flows all the way through. And obviously for me, that's about how you design your session and what you're trying to achieve from it. But it should almost, for me, in my opinion, I always set out my pitch in a, in a match sense, whether it's big or small, and then build from that. So it might be a small technical practice that's about 1v1s or passing and receiving. Then it's a possession game. Right? Now it might be some kind of transition, kind of key moment session. Then we go into like a small side in a bigger game. But every time I'm just making the pitch a little bit bigger, and I'm hardly doing very much about the movement. The goals are going to be where they're going to be. So the planning bit is so important because if I've planned that session, I've also planned my interactions because I've got everything ready. And if I'm not, too many coaches turn up, maybe just on the spot, oh, what should we do tonight? Oh, that's just too late. And I know people work, I know people got other stuff, but you've got to get that planning right because it's doing a disservice to the kids. But then it just becomes, again, biggest issue is one line of players taking a shot with the key, with the coach setting it to finish. But you've got this massive pitch and sometimes you've got four or five goals, maybe mm. at least two, just using one. So they could have maximised the opportunities for repetition, but no, mm. they just go the line. Or, or we do like a really tight possession that players aren't moving in. So there's no physical outcomes as well. But, the, but I'm looking at a pitch that's got loads of space but it's almost like it's like well i'm used to this but you gotta go out your comfort zone as a coach and and this is what i mean about study visits you gotta watch other sessions and think oh do i like that but you've also got to know why it's not just a session for a session why is that practice used is there a certain theme that you're trying to achieve if it's a counter-attacking session then your, your passing practice should link to your possession and then should link to your key moments and then your game because it's a we're trying to get this theme into the players so again planning is massive and that allows them for building relationships because you're not rushed and panicked about trying to set the rest up you've actually got a real control of your session and that mm. control then allows your emotions to be quite balanced and rational you can focus on the theme and not the next bit i've got to get i've got to do this and you see some mm. coaches so like rushed around they lose they lose the session they lose the players and they lose their control then what happens then is the players then get a bit bored because they're bored the coaches start having a go at them oh, come on you got to be more energy but your energy isn't helping the players you you transmit the energy you want and if you're not ready for this session in regards to preparing either to put on a good show or to have it planned, the players will feed off that. 
So for me, getting that right, turning up with the right mentality and then bringing great energy as a coach, we're then building that to the players. And the players go, oh, I love that. That was brilliant. And they're all buzzing. And then you're buzzing off it. And it's this positive cycle. But too often I see a negative cycle, which is, you know, frustration. Players let frustrated. You get frustrated at them. You get more frustrated. It becomes arguing. The negative cycle starts to become really problem. Then it becomes toxic. You get on a positive cycle of positivity and positive reinforcement and encouragement. They feed off that. And all of a sudden now you've got this really positive environment. So I think it's really important as a coach, you plan accordingly and then bring that energy to the session. And mm. hopefully that leads into um, you know a really positive environment for the lads who then feed off it. And then you have a really good session. Everyone leaves really happy and you think, wow, that was brilliant. But the coach has so much control in that environment that they mm. have to then take ownership of that. So, yeah, that's kind of my no, thoughts. No, I, think, yeah, that's I, think I think you're spot on. I think there's, there's, some, there's some great bits. And I think first and foremost, right, you know, the practice design piece, I think is really key because you're right. It, you know, if, you, if, you, if you've got the stuff planned in advance and I, one of the things I'm massive on is, again, is that is that planning piece before the session, you know, with anything that you want to get success, you've got to be deliberate and intentional. Right. And if you're planning your practices effectively, and this is the this is the beauty of it, right? Once you plan your practice and you really understand the reasons as to why you're using that practice with these with these group of players and what the outcomes are potentially going to be, there isn't really much that you have to do beyond that. Yeah. There isn't really much. But what you'd also find is once you've gone through that process of planning it, actually you can go back to that at any point because you already have that information. You've already done the background work on it. And then what you know the next kind of layer on top of that for me for coaches is to think about is what you know you, you mentioned it briefly there about around the interactions plan the interactions obviously don't set it in stone that this is exactly what it's going to be or exactly how it's going to look and whatnot because you, you know anything can happen right but have an idea of the types of interactions that you want who you want to have those with why you want to have them in that way with that individual for what reasons um and it, you know one of the kind of the biggest tips i often give coaches around practice design is okay if you really want to help your players develop and understand, develop awareness, take some accountability and some ownership over their learning, plan some questions. Plan some questions that actually lead them to some of the maybe the key messages that you want to link into, whether that be the technical information. So rather than, and I'm not saying go down the route of stop, stand still, command style coaching. If that's what if that's what works for you and that's the right thing to do with the players in that moment, then fantastic. But I'm also not a believer of cutting that out completely. However, if you have a piece of technical information that you might present in a stop stand still or a command style approach, build on that. Ask yourself, right, what are two or three questions which I can use that might tease out some of the same information and bring the player's awareness to it to so help them on that journey and give, you know, that guided exploration piece towards that outcome, if you like. Um, so I think, you know, I think that bit that is really important, and, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. But you know, so, something else that was really interesting, obviously, talking about um, potentially going into some technical work, one v ones and stuff like that. Um, Talk to us. T tell us about how maybe Curve has had an impact on that. And and obviously your research now, you know, moving into skill acquisition, how that compares or contrasts in any way, shape or form. And maybe we, we start with a Curve piece and maybe we can go into the skill act after. Yeah, so obviously uh, I joined Curve, I think it was around 2006, seven. Um, had a lot of interaction with Alf Galustian and then Scott Wright, who was part of the Midlands, um, you know, team. Um, and it was a really good time to come in because they were just building kind of like kind of growing it more. Um, got a really good experience about knowing about Curve in the background. And actually, I really believed in what it was because I'm a big believer in the idea of ball mastery and ball manipulation and, and having a control of the ball and enjoying the ball and, and doing unopposed uh, technical practices. I don't have any issue with that. It's just when and where you do them. Having practice on your own at home, the ball on a wall concept is, is Curve almost. Get a ball, go outside and practice. Do you know what I mean? Lots of touches, both feet, different techniques, 
ball juggling in the air, you know, master the ball. Do you know what I mean? That's really it. That ball mastery is that. The more you got mastered the ball, the more confident you are with the ball, the more you've got more composure. All of a sudden now you can play with your head up more effectively. You've got better awareness because you trust your touch more than the panic of a touch. And all of a sudden now the game, the space and time becomes open. So curve for me, I'm a big believer in it. Some people, I'm amazed, don't see the value, but maybe they see, oh, that's just, that's not real or that's not representative to the game. But the best players, you watch Maradona clips where he's warming up, he's pretty much doing a curve of warm-up almost. Do you know what I mean? Like loads of touches, juggling in the air, ball manipulation. I want the ball. I, I love the ball. Do you know what I mean? So, and then it's the 1v1 bit. And I'm really big on 1v1 and kind of 2v1 decision, pass or dribble or, or, or shoot or dribble. But the dribbling bit, want players who are exciting, who've got skills that can beat players, who are confident to, to attack them. And I saw something today actually about Japanese players. Matoma's a big player right now who everyone's loving. And in Japan, really high curver kind of value. They've put a lot of curve in for 25 years there, it feels. And they want their first 40 beat a man. So when they get the ball, can I beat him? Not keep it, it's can I beat him? And exciting. And at young players, we should want them to be expressive and creative. So curver's got all this repertoire of feints and skills to, to manipulate the ball, to retain the ball, to create space and to beat a player. If we can build players who have got this skill set, you're going to see them emerge in the game because, you know, that they're the ones who excite, but they're the ones who open up games and they're the ones who open up, uh, you know, opportunities to score goals. We should want that. You know, I mean, we rave about certain players that come through England and, oh, he's so skillful or we haven't got that. Like Adam Lallana is a really great example of like a curver kid, I guess, but not many players have got that skill set. And now I think we're seeing more through because I think the academy system has valued a lot more skill development, a lot more individual work, a lot more skill in regards mm. to like technical ability and we're seeing really good players coming through but the whole game in, in itself is improving across the world you know there's more skillful players now because i think we're in a skill world more effectively uh the only issue i always have though is when they get to a certain point do they allow to use their skill as much as they used to i mean i love ronaldinho that guy would express himself in every game and, and have the freedom to do it sometimes i wonder if players oh not that's great but not now now we need to understand you know when it's to do it and actually where's the excitement at times you know i mean the game yeah. times feels it's all about the team and the keeping it and knowing and that is part of the game but i love exciting players who excite you and make you stand up and, and get off your feet so can we produce those type of players because i believe we can um it's just the environment you create. If you play a two-touch game all the time and everything's two-touch, or too many touches, or keep it simple, or, or or move it, that's what you're going to create. And then what happens then a few years? We haven't got anyone who's got a bit of that. Well, your culture hasn't allowed it because what you say to them, and if they try and beat them, oh, no, come on, you can't do that. Keep the ball and keep it simple. Like, look, everyone probably has said that. But um, we want to have players who can do it. We've got to let them do it. We've got to let them make mistakes. We've got to let them be creative. So the curver stuff is all about me believing in that, wanting to produce players who are exciting, who are skillful, who are creative, and who can unlock things in games. Um, so I think that was really good. The only thing I've got with curver as a as a as a as a, a whole is that it's only a part of a development plan. It's not everything. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So you know what, what what I found was okay. I'm missing now the next level of pushing this this kind of technical element, technical skill development into a team environment that maybe then or an academy environment that can take the technical skill and push it into the next level you know what i mean so and now that's why the academy world i think just allowed me to do that even more so do you know what i mean and obviously also let me put in place a coaching program um that had from nines to 18s like these kind of philosophies going through do you know what i mean and i think it's harder at the top end because you still get that kind of oh come on it, it's like a five-a-side player but we need to understand the game but actually yeah they've still got to defend like, like I'm, I'm not averse to you've got to tackle you've got to defend you've got to press you there ain't no luxury players do you know what i mean you've got to do it 
but you've also got to have the skills and the quality that also allows you to achieve at the high levels. If not, you just get a grafter who's who's limited. You know what I mean? And I, I much prefer to have an exceptional talent who maybe doesn't work that hard, um, but then he can develop that work rate as he gets older. But I just sometimes see players losing their skill and improving their maybe graft and maybe the balance is off at a younger level too often. Mm. Um, just love players who excite me. Do you know what I mean? Yes, like players who like go, wow, I love that. I mean, and, and I think that's talk about the best players that people talk about. They all have that skill set, uh, and also they're not always the tallest player. So it's mm. not about size; it's about skill, quality, intelligence, creativity. Do you know what I mean? That that genius. Um, and I think we've got a chance with young players to try and develop that. You know, and, and I'm trying to help players on their journey and keep them, you know, into that mindset of development. I want to be better. I want to be skillful. I want to try things and just enjoy the game. Do you know what I mean? But I think as coaches, that's what we want to see on the weekend, don't we? We want to see that in our game. So uh, as coaches, we've got to then create the environment that allows it. So, and I believe that all the way through. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't matter what level. No, definitely. I think there's, you know, again, there's a lot of, there's a lot that you mentioned there that you can touch on. I want to take you right back to the top of it though, is talked about ball mastery and the importance of ball mastery. Um, and interestingly mentioned that there's obviously a time and a place. So looking at your philosophy that you've implemented, obviously, that you're working with at the club, you talk there about a lot of 1v1 stuff. Now, you know, would, would it be fair to say that that's not directly representative of what Curver do and it's a lot more unopposed elements of what Curver do? Well, Curver and unopposed ball mastery, you know, skill station things, but their 1v1 program is opposed. Do you know what I mean? Like, and obviously when you do 1v1 work, you work in both sides of the ball, defending and attacking. Um, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm putting in an ILP program this year, which is based, based on my doctorate. Um, but that's going to be a very much position specific version of a 1v1, 2v2. So kind of what does it look like for a fullback? What does it look like for obviously a winger, you know, a centre mid? So there's different 1v1s that happen on the pitch, you know, and there's different skills that are needed within those areas based on the, the geometry of the pitch and the decisions, not the limits on the player as such, but where you are. So those mm -hmm. 1v1s now become like, this is what we want, want to see in that moment. But I want players who are under pressure to receive the ball and be able to deal with it. It's not just like, Oh no, you're marked. I can't pass you. Do you know what I mean? No, no, you're marked. Give him the ball because he's, he should have the ability to deal with that. Do you know what I mean? If there's a player mm -hmm. coming up to him, facing him, he's got the ability to go left and right on that. Do you know what I mean? If there's a player coming up behind him, he's able to deal with the ball on the side, left and right. He can deal with it and he can manipulate, retain, and create and and, and keep the ball secure from a defender. If you don't put a defender into your practices and you just do an opposed stuff, the player will never get used to it. Do you know what I mean? You've got to be able to use your body, know how to use it. I remember seeing like Hazard and David Silva were two of the best at getting their bodies across men. They won a lot of fouls from it, but the bravery to take the impact, but also the ability to keep your body in between the ball and, and, and the defender is so important that if you don't put a defender in, you're not helping the players. Because what happens is they do all these skills, but they haven't got context to it. Mm. And so for me, you practice the skill, you get better at it, you get sharper at it, you get you get really effective but you've got to get a defender in there to make yeah. it real so there's somebody who wants to win the ball off you so that they can feel it and also know where the space is from it 100 percent. i think you're spot on i think you know that, that that word that you use there and i think this is something i, I talk about a lot because I'll, I'll be honest i'm not the biggest fan of uh unopposed work um however i do very much like yourself agree that it's got there's a time and a place for it and for me the time and the place is not in a team environment for me the time and the place is when the players have to do unopposed work because there physically is no other choice. Why would I go? Why would I do unopposed without the context? Um, and then you know this is where the other challenge I throw out there to coaches sometimes is always around. For me to really truly be impactful with unopposed work, you need to give context, and that takes a lot of that. There's a lot you know. You need to have a high level of understanding of the game to be able to be able to do that effectively, where 
it's not just me deciding right i'm going to do i'm going to become a one-to-one coach i'm just going to start doing sessions and getting people running in and out of cones and taking random shots from distances which they'll never take it from in the game whether that be too close or too far uh and it's just completely out of out of frame if you like so i think that piece is really important to highlight and so you know let, let, let's let's kind of unpack that a little bit because you obviously you mentioned obviously you're doing your doctorate skill acquisition talk talk to us how, how did you how did you kind of fall into that and what are some of the key things? I mean, probably best, but maybe even starting from your perspective around how you define skill acquisition, because there's probably a lot of people maybe listening to this that might not be fully aware of what it is. Yeah, so um, during Curva, I think there's a high level of skill acquisition within that, you know, and obviously you're talking about the unopposed, opposed elements of it. And I did my master's degree on, on an external focus of attention. So kind of the internal focus is where you would um, kind of go through the, the very, uh, if you're doing a, a shot, you know, get your ankle, uh, get your knee over the ball, you know, tight, um, what would you call it? I lock your ankle. I don't use these terminologies, so that's what I'm thinking. Uh, so it's all very internalized, which then kind of staggers the uh, the ability of doing the move. An external focus then means, OK, we're going to try and hit that crossbar because I did mine on a crossbar challenge because it was a, a controlled environment. It was easy to do. But obviously you're trying to hit top corner. The external focus is that you're not thinking about the techniques and then it is a journey. So as a novice, you are going to probably develop your techniques more in an internalized way. But as, a, as players get better, you can't internalize because it just restricts. You want to be smooth. Do you know what I mean? The idea is to be smooth in your uh, ability to perform a skill. So the target you use is the key. In golf, you aim for the flag or you aim for a spot and your technique will get you there. But if you internalize it, you end up kind of snatching it or, or, or you know skewing it because you focus too much. You've got to let that kind of smoothness happen. So my master's 10 years ago was on that. And obviously, I've done a lot of practical work since. So I've been working with players, with groups, different ages, different kind of levels to kind of put that into practice, really. Not so much the external, but the skill acquisition on what I'm saying. I want to develop players who are so smooth in their skills that it's effortless. And, and that's the idea. Now my doctorate is going to be built around, it's built around a post framework. So it's called the periodization of skill training. Um, so it's kind of... Fabian uh, Fabian Ate, who was a goalkeeper coach who's at Mönchengladbach, he did it around goalkeepers. And I wanted to further that and do it with all the positions. So we're going to do position-specific work with central defenders, full-backs, centre-mids, uh, forwards and wingers. Uh, and obviously centre-mids, there's, there's quite a lot. But there's a lot with full-backs and wing-backs. But the idea is, though, that position-specific-wise, we're going to really put that skill acquisition in. And it is going to be kind of working around unopposed technical you know, skill with like kind of 1v1, then skill working within small groups. And then obviously then the team performance element of uh, phase of plays and 11v11. So it, it does go on the continuum of kind of um, unopposed to then build into the game representative. And that's where we want to get to. Ultimately, we want to be able to perform game representative, you know, high complexity and high, and high tempo and high, high levels of game represent. But below that, at the bottom, I think you've got to develop those skills so that my version of skill acquisition for me is on that continuum of develop the skill unopposed, understand the details of it and understand the why and then start to be able to put it into the context then of opposition you know context um more more complexity higher constraints and that's where you want to get them to um sometimes i see too much um it's almost too much stain at the bottom end so it's too too easy and too too un like the unopposed goes on too long do you know what i mean for me you talk about in a session five or six minutes unopposed work just to get maybe some tempo going maybe to get some rhythm going but you can't stay on that for too long you've got to get into the complexity, you've got to build the constraints in, you've got to start getting that decision-making going because that part of it is is where the game is and the game is about decision-making and awareness. Mm. So the more that the game looks like it, the more complexity and the more context there is, then the better you'll get there. 
our challenge this year is to try and improve our players to understand their roles further and their roles and responsibilities within their position to be more effective within it. You know, and, and obviously then having the skill set that can help them push on further. Just just to build on that then, because obviously you talk, you know, the word that you've used several times is complexity. Um, now, <laughs> often gets thrown out there, let the game be the teacher. Um how do we how how do we scale up and scale down that level of complexity without coaches you know maybe misunderstanding it as let the game be the teacher just play games and just see what happens if you like because you know there'll be arguments to say well there's no what there's no better representation of the game than the game itself yeah and and obviously you know when you play with your mates on the street it's it's not all it's based on their needs so you go down your mates and play a game you might play head tennis um you might play Wembley you might play headers and volleys. You might just do some kicking together. It's not all. It's not structured. So it's I would call that unstructured play. And actually, within unstructured play, it might last for four hours. It might last for an hour. But the tempo is built on the players. Whereas we create structured environments that are built around what the coach desires. So I think there's a, a bit of both there. But let the game be the teacher. That those kids aren't going down and playing five v five without having a little bit of difference along the way. But they create that difference. So, and what I mean by that is they create their rest when they feel like it. They create their little bit of skill fun when they do it. So the cage world right now is a really great place for these lads to develop in. You see these lads in South London developing for because that community cage world, it's them developing the environment and it's them developing the competitiveness and, and, the, and the edge needed to succeed there. It's almost like when you get to an academy that's quite safe, quite a, you know, quite a, a, a controlled world quite easy for them because they're coming out of an uncontrolled you've got to like you know you've got to be at it kind of thing but at the same time it's not just their play 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 they're developing skills and they're developing stuff and they're trying things and you go and watch a cage stuff and there'll be half an hour where they're just trying to skill or trying a little move and and they're loving it and then it pulls off in a game later on or that next day oh you see what we're doing that's learning in their environment we've got to try and be able to try and do a bit of both give our ideas give our philosophy to make sure it's aligned with the pathway but also give their own freedom and their own kind of ideas as well and include them in the process. That is the challenge there. And obviously that isn't always as easy as it sounds, because if you, you know, if you got uh, one of your management team come over and go, well, they're just having a mess about it. I know we're giving them a bit of free play. Oh, you know, is that best? Well, they're really enjoying it or they're getting a lot out of it. You see what I mean? If the coach is just driving everything and telling them exactly what to do, well, that's just creating robots and that's just creating players who are who are looking for the side for answers instead of thinking themselves. Let the game be the teacher, I think, is actually a good one for younger players just to let them play and let them experiment and try things. The key for the coach is just to manage it, either if it's getting a bit out of control or maybe a few things, but just let them let them go. As they get older, I think players hopefully are smarter and intelligent and include them in the process of the session. So how can we improve? What do we want to get better at today? And how can we do that? Do you know what I mean? Because when you talk to players, they've got ideas, they've got thoughts, they've got, well, I had one lad in the last few years, he's a scholar now, and he was brilliant at throwing back a suggestion. And I saw some people go, oh, just listen to me as a coach. And actually, good idea. Do you know what I mean? But if you include him, tell you what, if you include him in the process, he's going to actually really buy into you as a coach. He's going to enjoy the session because he's had an input in it. And actually, he can drive the standards because he was one of them cultural guys who he drives the culture as well of the group. So you get him on board. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And make him feel valued, you'll actually get more from him on the pitch. Yeah. And actually, your sessions will be better. And he'll then respect you as well. And just listening to players and getting their thoughts is, is not a bad thing because you might, what do you want to do today? We want to play a game. Well, do you know what? Why don't we do a game today? Because what do they always want to do? They want to play a game. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm a big thing in competitiveness. So I always think everything we try and do is a game. If it's a technical drill, I want to do two passing games. Who's the first to do it? Do you know what I mean? Make it competitive. This competition drives energy and drives enjoyment and, and a bit of animosity. You know what I mean? Like, like you can be a bad ref who messes up things and they get at you, all teaching them about how to deal with stuff, you know? But competition just drives the whole session. And so that isn't like the game, but everything's a game. Do you know what I mean? But they want to play a match because what's a match? It's full on. It's competitive. It's energy. It's got it's got a winner and a loser. It, that's what kids mm. love. You know what I mean, mm. so we've got to be careful not to like, oh, we don't want to be too competitive because we want to make it nice. No, no, we want to be competitive. You know what I mean? That's mm. a big part of it. And I'm a big believer in that. And I love the sessions that we go fully on competitiveness and, and like just start the session. Two teams are split. And everything we do now is around these two teams, all the mm. normal. Do you know what mm. I mean? And you find out who can survive and who doesn't in there. And that's what football is. And if we're trying to produce anything in the game. It is competitive players who understand how to compete and how to win. Because ultimately, that's what sport is at the top end. It's kind of having the mentality to win. But we want to mm. have to have got the skills as well to be effective. Do you know what I mean? Like I read a quote recently about Liverpool and it's kind of saying that they've gone away from getting players with, a dot, with that fight in them to kind of like, 
he's a good player or he's a good lad. Do you know what I mean? But there ones a few years ago, it's like, that's what Klopp was, like the dog. And you watch Liverpool and you fit everything about them was just high energy. I want to win. I'm going to go at you. And then within that, I mean, Man City, you watch Man City press, Guardiola ain't going to have anyone on that pitch who ain't going to go and work for him. Do you know what I mean? Or for the team. Because when they lose it, they all get it back because that's what you have to do if you're in his team. Do you know what I mean? But that's the that's that fight in them. Do you know what I mean? They're, and they're all quality players, but they all want to win, and they've all got that 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 bit about them. So we've got mm. to create that as well. But we also just can't restrict the quality, and that's that that's the balance. But do, do you know do you know the, the one word that jumps out to me as you as you've been speaking there is trust. Mm. There's got to be an element of trust, right? In that you talk about you know allowing players to feel valued, and I think that's a real key piece in terms of getting their buy-in. Because the thing is, once you've got their buy-in, they're with you. Yeah, absolutely. They're with yeah. you for good. And I think one of the things that I've I learned over the years, um, you know, a lot of my experiences have come with kind of that 14 to kind of 21 age range. You know, upper YDP, looking at college football, university football, looking at PDP, um, working across that spectrum there. And initially, I thought that some of the things which, you know, the, I guess the frameworks, the principles I kind of developed around practice design and engagement was kind of just, it was set and limited towards that because that was where I experienced it right as time went on and I started experiencing different age groups and different uh, um, levels of the game I recognized it was universal and in the word that you use there is competitiveness it had to be competitive there was nothing that we could do that wasn't competitive and any time and it, it was it, you know it stood out like a sore thumb and to the point where any time it wasn't competitive you can see that there's a there's a massive difference here and and the key for me was there has to be transition and it has to be some sort of scoring system involved. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, has to be transition. Has to be some sort of scoring system involved. No matter what the what the theme of the session is, and you know whether that was with sixteen year olds, whether that was six year olds, it works. Um, certainly, in my experience, anyway. And the reason why I say it has to have transitions because how many times do you see a practice where let's just say that it's a finishing practice, but as soon as the person's missed the strike or if a defender blocks it, the game's done or the repetition's done. Well, it, 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 where's the challenge in that? Where's the incentive in that for the defender? Exactly. They, they've, got to have, they've got to have an outcome, but they've also got to have it, again, contextually to the game. Okay, yeah. you block, you've intercepted, you've got now a chance to transition, find exactly. a pass, you know, break a line, and now we're out, or break lines with the ball and run. And actually, like, I'm, I'm a big believer in what you're saying. It's like... Okay, well, uh, there's no there's there's no kind of like benefit for the, you're this team, but you get the win. Trying to think, yeah. so what's the point for us then? You know, but yeah. where's the context of the game? So if they're attacking and we're defending, now that switches. They've got to learn to react. So how often do you see players who aren't good at reacting when they lose the ball? But if you mm. don't train that to get used to them to react and get it back, then they're mm. going to score on you. This defending team who transition, but also in a game, are you going to react or are you going to switch off because mm. you haven't trained it? Do you know what I mean? So if you're going to do anything in training, like you said, get the transitions right and get your counter presses right and, mm. and make those players realise that there's a change between now we've won it and we've lost it, and that's part of it. But also it's the game and competitiveness mm. has to be both sides. Like I said, and one of our biggest issues to talk about coaches you know what could be better if you forget the score or you don't think about the score i remember asking someone once what's the score i don't know actually i said well how do you not know you know you're watching this game you know you should know because that matters do you know what i mean like if i if a, if a game starts to get too far away so they're winning four or five nil i'll then do like three periods three eight minutes or something and we'll just go best of three now because i, I want to keep the competitiveness if it's too easy on one game i can't then continue five nil because the game's probably done so let's okay let's change it let's go best of three so the next game you've got a chance now it's nil nil and you just reignite them 
and then it might go to that sudden death one which is always great to finish a session so close but you've got to manipulate your session based on what the outcomes you want to get which is almost maximizing the session mm. so if all of a sudden that session now might the competitiveness might have dropped for one team you gotta be able to manipulate it to get it back do you know what i mean and, and and having little staggered bits like that are always a good tip to do but you've got to get the energy right and competitiveness gets it better than anything you know 100 and one of the other things though you know just to kind of build on that as well is that and you talked earlier about practice design i think uh, i don't know about yourself but I, I feel like i've certainly got to a point where my intention and my kind of my aim when i'm designing practices in particular is to try and create the multi as multifunctional practices meaning that they are a true representation of the game therefore there must be different elements i can work on from the game within my practice um and what that allows me to do is get to a point where actually if the players are engaged with the practice all i now have to do is i've won one i've got their buy-in because they're engaged with it two if they're truly engaged with it and this has happened to me before they will come to me and say oh yes can we do that or that or that and yeah. it gives me the flexibility and and the freedom to say actually yeah because of the way i've designed it i know i can get xyz outcomes out of this one i was planning on using practice a but practice b also allows me to get an element of that if they want to do practice b i've got their buy-in even more now yeah because yeah. they're coming to that practice fully engaged and all i've got to do is shift the spotlight from here to here to because that's the area that i want to work on yeah. now eventually you get to a point where actually you just end up recycling your practices and i'm not having i'm not, i'm certainly i don't i don't do this anyway where i'm out there every week now thinking about new practices new practices new practices and i think for coaches that are, are going through that challenge of having to always come up with new practices i think the question to maybe consider or reflect on is is my practice that i'm doing effective enough in the first place yeah because if it was if it ain't broke don't fix it the players the players will let you know if it's no good yeah and, and they'll also I, let you know if it is spot on and, and i think the complexity of a practice compared to the complexity of what you're asking them within the practice is really important i see some crazy practices that have got far too much going on far too much setup like i said time wasted far too much time explaining it because it's 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 just almost too much do you know what i mean it doesn't make sense and then it breaks down and then it goes again and the coach gets annoyed. It's like, why have you, why have you put such a complicated practice on that you don't even know? Do you know what I mean? I, I've got probably 20, probably 20 core sessions that I would build around in possession, out possession transitions. Do you know what I mean? And and then obviously then that goes from small to big, 11 v 11. One of my favorites is the free goal game. So like you can manipulate the size of it, 4 v 4, you can make it into 11 v 11. You just got three gates, one end, three gates, the other, and it's wider than longer. Do you know what I mean? You just got to get through the gate dribbling through. Uh, so you haven't got a goal scoring as such with a finish, but you've got a chance to dribble. It's more of a mid third game. But I could focus on out of possession, mid block, uh, pressing high, uh, counter attacking, or in possession, working on switching play, working on playing through the thirds, working on finding my number 10 in the pocket. I can do so much in that session that mm. it's, it's a different session every time, really, because mm. the theme will always be different. Uh, I might work on 2v1 combinations wide. So I might have a real distinct theme, but the session, everyone knows the session. So I don't have to come, I don't have to make that, uh, explain that. We know what we're doing. Let's get at it. Instead of this is what you do and you go here and then you have to go to this cone and you go around there and then you jump. It's like, wait, what? the players are frazzled. And that may be, again, over six weeks, you might do that every week and they get it now. But actually, was it needed? Do you know what I mean? Is this session that's so kind of complicated necessary? Uh, and I think having a, a coach who's the experienced side, you know what works and what doesn't. You know what the players like. You know what you like also because it works for you. 
So you're able to manipulate it because you've got control of it. Do you know what I mean? And but, a coach should have control of their session in regards to how they know it, it needs to adjust, whether to mm, be challenging or mm, less challenging and how it's going to look. So again, having a core sessions are good. And this is where you go and watch others because you might get some ideas, but you've mm, also got to understand the why. So I would always say, if you're going to go and watch a coach, speak to them before and after and actually ask them why they did it and not just take it and, oh, I'll use that because you might not know why that was there for that session. So I'd always uh, say, ask, network, talk to people, given the opportunity to explain the, the whys so that you can have a better knowledge about the practice itself. And hopefully then coaches have a better understanding about what they're trying to achieve in the session. But again, just simplify the session, which allows you then to coach with more detail within it. Do you know what I mean? And that's probably the, my advice from that one. 100% of your spot. And I think there's two key, two key bits that you've kind of just touched on there is one, um, in terms of practice itself, you'll know when it works and when it doesn't. And the beauty of it is this, and a quick first step for me, for any coaches that are maybe struggling with the challenge of having to come up with new practice constantly, if you've got a practice that works, and let's just say it's an attacking practice or an in-possession practice, well, guess what? It's also an out-of-possession practice. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. Same practice. You don't have to re-explain it. Just tell them we're doing the exact same thing, but just coach the defending or the out or the attacking yeah. alternative, alternatively, depending on what you, what you worked on previously. But the beauty of it is you don't really have to spend any time planning it again. Your plan is done. And, you know, similar. You talk there about having core sessions and having a, you know, almost a series of core sessions that you use. I've probably only got by ten or twelve. Yeah. And yeah. all that changes for me is the numbers and maybe the area sizes more than you know. But, but in terms of a template of what the session is, I've probably only got about ten or twelve, and I don't really need more than that because, like I said, that you know, once you understand the game well enough, and you're you're very clear in, and you have absolute clarity on what it is that you want to work on and what, how you want to get there. It's very easy to see those images and those pictures come out and no matter what you're working on because yeah, you'll know when it fits and when it doesn't fit. How you want to see it at 11 v 11 or how your game model is, how you want to play, then you build it back from that. Mm. Sometimes coaches get a session and they almost build it from the bottom up and like, how does it look there and how can you now take a fragment of that and put it into your session? And, or how do you want to play that now puts it into the practice? Like you said, the mm. practice now, I know what I want to get from this practice. It doesn't mean I've just watched Simeone put this on and now I know I want to do it. Well, what, why does he do it? Is it the same as what you want? Mm. You've got, you have got to be a little bit of your own architect. It's good to get ideas. It's good to get session mm. plans. Well, session, look at this. But actually develop it yourself because if you actually put your own one in, you know what you want to see from your team and it might be yeah. different to every other coach. Do you know what I mean? It might be exactly the same as Guardiola, but you're not working with those players, example. But how do you want to look? And then let's build our sessions around how we want to do it. And I think that's where coaches who work with each other have to plan together. Mm. Great opportunity, like you said. I'll do in possession, you do out of possession. So then you've always bouncing off each other. It's not just, well, I'll lead and you watch. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's always an opportunity for both coaches, if you're working in a two, to link off each other and bounce off each other. It might be that you want to just have one who's a ghost coach who does more of the individual chats, whereas one of them drives the session. But you should always yeah. be working together. Uh, again, it goes back to planning. If you're a second coach, you go, well, I'll, I'll get my next bit sorted because I haven't got it planned. But who can take this one? Well, then he's mm. planned it again because really you've got to be around it together and you've got 100%. to see it together and talk to it together and, and help the player. So planning and, and working as a two is really key. I, I think you're spot on. I think it's a fantastic point there in that it's, and you see this all the time where coaches do work together and let's just say me and you're working together now, we've got practice and we're looking at, I don't know, uh, switching the play as an example. Well, actually, what does switching a play look like to you and what does it look like to me? It could be two very different things and it's, it, uh, and I always always say this, you know, especially on the courses when I deliver courses and, th and and webinars and things like that. 
you know, that anyone with a mouth can make a case, right? Just because it had, just because you're literally moving the ball from one end to the other in your practice, doesn't mean you're switching the play. Yeah. And then the other side of it is, well, actually, Matt wants to switch the play like this. I want to switch the play like this, but actually, does that align with what the club are trying to do? Yeah. And where does that make marry up? And you know, it ha- it has to it has to be consistent. Yeah. It that's... has to be consistent. It doesn't necessarily mean I have to agree with the way in which it's been done or that it, that it's the best way to skin the cat, if you like. But it has to be consistent across us so that our messages are consistent. But recognizing that actually, like you said, you and I can go and take a session from wherever else it is. I can go and watch a Simeone or Guardiola, whoever else it is. But the bottom line is this, is how do they want it to translate? How do they want it? What is their end goal? And yeah. how have they worked it back? So as an example, you know, if we if, 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 if we look at the basics and the principles of the game, we're all looking to penetrate the, the opposition. But how you penetrate, how I penetrate, and how Guardiola wants to penetrate is obviously going to be very different. So yeah. building on that, then you know, if you if you deconstruct that and work it back to the foundations, well, actually the build up, the, the practices leading into that are going to be, look very different. They have to, therefore, the information has to be very different. But actually, what's consistent is the principles are still there, and again, how you want the principles to look like for you, in your, you know, I don't really like the phrase game model, but in your in your way of playing and the way that I I want my team to play, that will obviously dictate. The nature of what that practice looks like and then you know, i was thinking just as you're talking it, um there's so many coaches who put on some really positive training sessions yeah if you were to watch their training session you'd be like man they must play some good football you know get to the game it's completely different because they they just launch it and it's yeah. like and they got the classic well first 15 we got to turn them do you know what i mean turn them. the problem is the whole game becomes turn them and then but i watch your training and you want to play and yet you get here and it's like the trick go back to that word trust don't trust the players in the game. The game starts and they, they get fearful of, oh, I don't know if I can trust him to make that. So we do, just do play you know safe. What, though? It's really interesting you say that because I, I would go one further. And I'd say, I don't think it's a lack of trust in the players. I think it's a lack of trust in yourself. Well, no, the trust in the players will come from you actually believing and trusting in yourself that you've done the work that needs to be done yeah. for them to get the message. I think it is that. I think they revert to a bit of a type, revert to the safe. And, and it's like have a bit more confidence about yourself like you said trust in it trust your ability to see the pictures you know and it just baffles me sometimes to see the if i like a training session that's completely different to how you play if you're going to play that way play that way do you know what i mean like it works for some but train like that then like you can't almost train one way and then do that and then the players go this isn't what we do all week all week we've been playing from really nice stuff and getting on it little small sided stuff and now get it forward well, if you're going to train like that, train like that, I guess. Do you know what I mean? Because if you're going to be good at it, be good at it then. You know what I mean? I mean, one of my big philosophies on that, if I was to use Burnley and Sean Dyche as an example, and it's not to criticise Dyche, I class Dyche at Burnley as the best at what he did at that level. Do you know what I mean? I don't believe any any team above that would play that way. And I always think that restricted his ability to sell players on. Whereas if you look at Brighton right now, they play in a way that every Champions League team plays which is why their players are so... So the Burnley model was almost about staying in the league and playing that the, the best Deutsch way. So he'd take any player from lower a lower league as such or big horse from there. It, it, the only club that really suited them was them. So they were the best at that. Whereas Brighton are saying, well, we want to play a style that actually produces players for the top and we're going to make some serious money from that. Benfica are masters at it, but Benfica are a big club anyway. But it's how you play isn't just about, you know, how well you win, but it's how well you develop players. And those development of players, if you're going to have a business model in it and you're a, you're a club, if you're a Coventry City, and and we don't have this idea with us, we want to produce players for our first team, but produce top players and top clubs will come and buy them. Do you know what I mean? like, 
if you don't play like that though you're not they're not going to come and get you do you know what I mean like you look at Brighton they are so they're so akin to a, a Guardiola team that all these top four teams and you know they're going to fit well, I want a bit of that and they're going to make some serious money from that and at the same time they're going to stay in the league and play well and entertain the fans and actually really enjoy the journey and, and they've shown how good they are at recruiting talent that they can just keep that coming do you know what I mean and I think that's the bit recruit players that suit what you're trying to do bring in coaches who are good at developing the player that you want, create the pathway and create a consistency across, like you said, everyone has to buy in. And then when you get to first team level, continue to trust it. You know what I mean? And they brought in a coach after Potter, who's probably even better than Potter now. And, you know, fantastic really, because watching them is a joy, but you can see that they are producing players that top clubs are going to come and get money from. And, you know, football is about that. And, you know, it's about money and there is a lot of money in it. Produce players then that you want to go to the top levels. And if you're a grassroots coach to produce players that academies want to come and get, do you know what I mean? And if you're an academy, produce players that you're almost happy that they move to a top club um, because you know that you've developed the skill set for that. You know, what I, mean? I think that's, and I don't know if, if that sounds harsh, but looking at it as a business, but when you work with the players, it's all about you helping them. Do you know what I mean? And whatever their journey is, their ambitions, that's what happens. But at the time, it's not that you use them as a commodity. You use them as a player who's there to, I want to get the best out of you. And I think that's one of my big things is if you're with me uh, working in a team or I want to help you become the best you can be. Do you know what I mean? And whatever happens, happens. But in that moment, in that year or whatever, we're going to go 100% support about getting you better. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's, so all the all the things above that, making money and producing players, what you do every day and how you help those players is ultimately what it's about. Do you know what I mean? And that's where you, I think the coach's role is. And like you said before, some players can only get themselves to a point. Our job is to get them beyond that point and then to just keep them there. And hopefully when they've got there and you move away, they've understood what where they're at. You know, unfortunately, yeah. some drop back sometimes because they need the help. But uh, you know you've helped them to push to that next level. And, you know, that that's one of my things is I just want to help players that I work with, all of them, improve and enjoy it and um, and keep getting better. You know, and obviously as a coach, that's what you live for, isn't it, Jeremy? You know I ultimately. Um, does, that feel like man, think... does that feel like it's wrapped up on that? It's like a... No, I think, I think you're spot on, man. I, you know, I, I was going to ask you if you've got any kind of key final messages for the listeners. And I think you've summed it up really well there in that, you know, let's, let's, let's do what we can to help the players. You know, and support for players is individualized, is tailored to their bespoke needs, whatever that may be. And like you said, for some players, you know, we need to. I, you know, I'll finish on this one, and it, it comes on. Um, it comes back to me around my definition of a coach, and obviously, you know, I've mentioned obviously our, the role of the coach for me is about taking the players to a point that they can't get to, or they they would they want to get to. It's been as in the destination has been decided by them, not by you. But when they can no longer get there themselves. Now, there's three ways in which that could, you know, present itself. It could be in some cases we're on this journey together where I'm the one driving the, the, the you know, the coach, if you like. Um, in other in other cases where actually no, I'm I'm handing the keys over to you. I'm just going to sit alongside and be a passenger in your journey. But actually, in other cases, you've broken down. I need to get behind you and I push you from behind. Yeah. And you know, it, it's whatever the player needs at that given moment. Um, whichever whichever time frame you know that 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 kind of expands itself over and at whatever level that needs to be done. So I think it's recognizing that. And as coaches, if we're being again deliberate and intentional, we're recognizing everyone's different. Let's not just focus on the top three. Let's not just focus on the bottom three. Let's give every single player an interaction throughout our sessions and building those relationships. And we're not going to be best friends with every single player. And we shouldn't we shouldn't aim to be either. But what we should do is be able to develop a relationship where there's that mutual respect and understanding that as a coach, you're there to help. Yeah. And I think if the players understand that you're there to help more than anything else, then 
I think you've done well. I, I think that is it. I think if they know you're there to help them, they will then buy in. Do you know what I mean? If they don't feel that that relationship's there or that trust is there, again, trust, can I trust you to help me? Do you know what I mean? Do, do, do you come across as a coach who wants to make me better? Do you know what I mean? And, and that's what I mean. When players come in on trial at our place, you know, it's not a sales pitch. We're saying, you come in with us, we will improve you, we'll help you, we'll develop you because that's what we're about. Do you know what I mean? And, and you'll enjoy it because you'll feel part of that. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and that's what I believe in because that's what a coach, like you said, that's what a coach's role is there, is to help a player. Your, your, your points about different needs for a coach are spot on. Sometimes players need to have their own time or they're a push and you're there to help them. Sometimes you need to drive it. That's knowing. And that can happen across a week. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Sometimes mm. there might be... Um, that can happen even within the session. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And obviously they come from their own issues, coming from school, home, girlfriends, all this stuff. They come in, it's not the same every day. And it's just like we're all human in that sense. So everyone's had a different day, different experiences. When they're there, though, how do you then cater for that? And how do you help them to make sure that they've had a really positive environment, even though no matter what's happened? And again, it's down to trust. Do they trust you to talk to you about that? Do you know what I mean? Do they trust you to open up? Because you, they know, you know you've got the best interests at heart. And I just think we've got to not be too ruthless in the elite world and actually sometimes think we're catering for young kids and you want them to look back and say, Joe, you know what really loved it with them. What really good coach really helped me. And I had a really good experience instead of it was horrible. Coach are treated like crap, you know, like, you know, it's how, why would you want that? Why would you want that reputation? You know, like, why would you want people to look back at you? You want to help them all. If only a small percentage can make it to the top then help them all to have a good experience. And hopefully you've imparted life skills and lessons of life onto them that help them progress in, in, in their future, you know. But yeah, just when you meet them in future, you want to almost look at you and go, thanks for everything, really enjoyed it. Do you know what I mean? Instead of they don't want to torture you because they hated you. You know what I mean? Why do you want to be hate? But like you can be demanding and still be liked. You know, it happens. But just be positive, just be energetic, just, just have real personality about what you're trying to do. But development head on. Keep making players better. Keep playing well in regards to how you're trying to play, and and positive uh, experiences will happen, and positive you know interactions will happen. But yeah, it, you can see why people, why coaches and managers, they just lose it. They lose the bond and they lose the trust. And then when that happens, you can see that there's a there's a problem, you know. And you know, one of my biggest challenges always, even if you have a bad game or something, is to get back to the the positives, to reflect positively, mm. to not have animosity, to not have mm. any issue, and also to work player and staff together. Too often I mm. see the division of players and then staff. So after a game, players go off and do a call down, staff all go and chat. The players are like, well, they're just moaning and talking about us. But that reflection with the other staff member could be done with the group because we're a collect. We're all here to work for each other. It shouldn't be a staff versus player thing. You know what I mean? I went last thing, and I think we'll wrap up. But I went to university to play uh, in America for a year, and the coach there. And this is one of the things that really pushed me into coaching. Um, he created a player versus staff thing um, purposely, like made us walk two miles to go and get a goal from a pitch to walk back to where we were on our campus. And he knew, and it was with the intent of get them all work for each other and hate me as a coach. Everyone just for two miles, just moaning about this guy. And then when he tries to help you, you don't want to listen because mate, you're not, no one likes you. Do you know I mean, no one has built, you haven't built a bond with anyone to take, to now listen to you. And then what happens is, you know, you don't play well. There's more animosity, more anger. It's like, this is awful. This is the worst culture. And it was a shame to be part of that, but it also it's good sometimes to see bad culture because you realise what bad looks like, and then you realise what you want to see good look like. Sometimes you can be blessed and see good, not realise mm. what bad might be. Do you know what I mean? So, mm. it, like I said, study visits, experiences, 
just kind of seeing what different things do you might o- open your eyes to think actually well what we do is actually really good you know what i mean compared mm. to maybe some of us so yeah i do think different experiences help and it helps mold your beliefs and your philosophies and like i said i've coached for a long time now and I've, I've definitely had my philosophy shaped and i've definitely learned a lot of lessons along the way do you know what i mean i'm, I'm never being perfect but always just trying to get him help the players and keep improving that's the key yeah, I think I think you're spot on. And I think just to kind of wrap up there, the two two kind of really key things that you've touched on there is something I mentioned earlier on that elite behavior versus elite environment piece. You know, sometimes we're going to go to environments which aren't really at the forefront of things, and you know they're not they're not they're not spoken about a lot. But actually, you see some things in these environments where you think, yeah. "Wow, that is brilliant! Yeah, that is fantastic!" and you know that that coach or that individual just hasn't had the opportunity to present themselves in an elite environment yet but actually the behaviors are elite yeah yeah they are yeah, fantastic yeah. out as well behaviors that you know, you know get into the real core of building those relationships and having that value adding that value and having that impact on the, on young players or even adults at this in this case um and then obviously the other side of that he talked there about you know that that's the story that you shared around that coach and i think this is probably one of the most important things um, I'm not sure how much it, how much you've, you you know or you've looked into it around the you know different levels of leadership. Um, you know, and I think where people often get it wrong in this, you know, is that first level of leadership where because you're the coach, you feel that the players should respect and you know um, listen to you if you like. But I think the problem comes with this is that players will only respect what they feel should be respected if that makes sense so they'll give you the level of respect that the, that the situation deserves and what yeah. i mean by that more specifically is if you're the coach and you're just expecting them to give you the respect of being the coach yeah that's all they're going to give you they're going to respect you because they feel like they have to yeah and, and they're going to listen to you that they feel like they have to authority yeah it's, i'm the boss you're the you know i'm the teacher you're the pupil you have, but, you should respect me because i'm the authority precisely you're only gonna you know there's there's a glass ceiling on that exactly it's only gonna go so far and you know it reminds me of a conversation i had with a coach that you know i've been working with recently and you know he felt that the players were somewhat disrespectful i said well actually have they been disrespectful or do you feel like there's a lack of respect because it's a very different thing right um disrespectful means they're actually there is no respect Yeah, yeah lack of respect means there's not as much as respect as you want yeah now the question then comes is well what are you giving them to actually respect so you've got that first level that you talk you know we, we just mentioned there around the authority piece just because i'm in this position i'm the coach they should respect me well actually they will respect you but only to that standard yeah now the next piece is obviously you know looking at beyond you being the coach they will actually they want to respect you because of the value that they can see that you can add but that only comes from building those relationships right having that relationship where they feel like actually i can learn from this person I yeah, can yeah. learn from this person. You know, this person does care. There's an authenticity around what they're doing. Um, they genuinely want to help. And I don't know where the help's going to take me or how much they can help me, but they, I know they want to help. Yeah. So yeah now yeah. I want to, I want to listen to you. I want to be, I want to be led by you, if you like. And then obviously beyond that, it's now the next piece, which is, you know, the, the third level, if you like, is around the results that you've been able to deliver on. So not only are you the coach or are you the individual that that has got authority in this environment if you like not only have you gone to the extent of building those relationships actually there's some there's some there's some credibility here there's some history history around what you've done 
And I think that, you know, as you start going up further and further, you then get, you know, to the pinnacle, um, you know, and I kind of skip past level four a little bit here, but level four is much more about actually your results, but actually what you've done for that individual as well. Now you're going to have, and I think the important thing to remember is what these levels exist um, simultaneously amongst different people at different times. Yeah, and you could have a group of ten people in front of you, where some people you're only on level one with them in terms of leadership, and some people you're on level two, some people you're level three, but you might only have one that's on a level four or five. Yeah, yeah. And your job, and this is the, this is why it's so important to have those interactions and build those relationships consistently with that with every single individual in the group at every given opportunity, whether that be through the session, through the week. You know, I, I'm currently working in an environment where I've challenged all the coaches. Can you interact with and engage with every single individual in every single session? Yeah. No matter how big or small you think that might be. Yeah. Just tick the box. Have that interaction. Yeah. Have that because that one extra interaction that you have and you've made yourself, you know, you've gone out of your way to have that interaction. That could change everything for the player. No, exactly. Re- recognition. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's so easy for coaches to highlight the best players and they get all the praise, they get all the attention. And then that one lad who doesn't seem to get any, his name's never said, just becomes, mm. you know, feels like he's very distinct from the group. Mm. You include them in it. And that inclusivity is really important. Make them part of it by just saying, love that you, well done. Like, yeah. like you said, just um, like interact with them. And they feel like he, he sees me. Do you know what I mean? And that, that seems crazy to think, Coaches will go, of course they know. But do you know what? There's some players who will think that you haven't spoke to them all night. Do you know what I mean? Because they just haven't, they haven't picked up on that. I said, well done earlier, but he wasn't even listening. You know, you've got to make sure eye contact, you know what I mean? Proper get there and say, that was fantastic, you. Little arm over the shoulder, high five. Then they go, yeah, he felt that. And, and at the end, like you said, at the end, every player should be almost well done, fantastic, love that. And there might be a little chat. You might go, come on, you know your standards are better. Or you come up, but I love what you did there. But every mm-hmm. player feels like by the end, you have almost reflected in a in a in a five second ten second chat but they've all had a bit of feedback straight away yeah. but left feeling tell you what he's recognized me tonight he spotted that i always say when we do feedback on our pma and put their notes down you've got to give context to what they did so if i just said uh yeah it's really good game i thought you worked really hard well done there's no you know, he didn't watch my game anyone could have said that but if you said yeah oh that one v one skill you did to beat that player was delightful he knows you watched it do you know what I mean? or that shot that just went over or you know the keeper just context or that block yeah. you made in the box fantastic like it shows that you value what they've done to the game and i think every player would at least have one thing that they've done so when you do verbal like when you do verbal or, or or written feedback make sure there's a there's a real kind of personal feel to it yeah. and it's just not generic generic just feels like it could be anyone make it feel personal make it feel like you've recognized what they've done and now leave feeling valued because you've, sh- you've shown appreciation to them and going back to what you said i remember a lad once to me said I said he went up to the under 15s and I was, it was a, year, a few years ago and I said he's moaning about your attitude which isn't good from him he goes when he respects me I respect him and that's what the player said and and his view was you respect me and I'll show you respect I'm not going to just respect you for the sake of it I want you to then show value to me mm. was that right or wrong it shows where the mentality is at though it shows yeah. where kids are these days the great thing I look about kids these days is that they're not just conformist who then just respect authority for authority's sake. Do you know what I mean? That they've got a bit of rebellion in them, but they've also though, like you said, the glass ceiling. So old days was you respect me because I'm the boss and you'll just then do it. And this is my big thing about players who are skillful going full circle. 
the, the skillful creative ones will only do that in an environment they feel comfortable to do it in. So if you create an authoritarian kind of culture of glass ceiling, I will only play safe to appease the safe authoritarian coach. Because if I don't do that, he'll shout at me. So I do things safe and I get praise for being safe. And because of that, now he likes me. But that's like being under the, you know, like a boss. If I've got a coach who now is free and expressive, respectful, but allows me to try things, I go from 60% to 90%. And all of a sudden now I'm trying things that I know he'll give me the trust to do. And it goes back to this feeling of how can we create these skillful players, create an environment that isn't a feared one and create one that's full of positivity and creativity and trust to make mistakes. And by doing that, then your respect as a leader will actually grow because they'll know that I, this guy trusts me or this guy I've got the trust of. And it just says a lot, but it's easy to be an authoritarian one. You shout, you scream, you tell them off. You, you say, if you don't want to be here, go. You know what I mean? You, you, I'm, a, I'm the boss. And they'll do it because they feel they, they should, but they, they don't leave happy. They leave feeling like scared. And yeah, I've seen that far too many times. And I feel for those lads because, you know, and again, going back to what's the perfect route for a player, if, uh, opportunity and luck. If you get the right coach in the right environment, at the right time just works for you. You might get yourself on that pathway through. Do you know what I mean? But you might just get the wrong coach in the wrong place who just doesn't work for you. Um, and then obviously all of a sudden you just fizzle out. And then everyone goes, Oh, he's a bad lad. No, he's not a bad lad. He just didn't have the right relationship. And unfortunately, the environment didn't work for him. And yeah, yeah I, I always feel I don't want to be the part, I don't want to be the reason a player didn't progress because mm. of the environment I created. I want to be the one who's helped them continue their journey positively and just hope that the next stage. They continue that on. Do you know what I mean? Like that's another kind of thing that as a reflection, as a coach, I want to have an impact on is positive development, not fizzled out. You know what I mean? Mm. And, and I'll just leave on this last point, really, and that we you know without hopefully starting a new debate, is that um I remember having a conversation with one of my mates one time, we're talking about coaching, and you know, uh, he was telling me uh, he, obviously he, him and his brother, the twins, they both grew up in the same environment, um, both played relatively, you know, decent standard, but he seemed to be the better one. And I just I just threw the question. I said, "Are you sure? Are you sure that you you were the better one, or, or was it just the environments that you were exposed to that were more suited to you than him?" And he goes, "No, we were both we were both in the same environments. We had the same coaches." I said, "Yeah, but it's not as simple as that, is it? Because you both experience the same environment, but your experiences could be very different within Absolutely. the environment itself." Absolutely. And you know, the challenge I always throw to coaches is, or the thought that I always want coaches to think about is, you've got a hundred players. Every single one of them is, you know, if you if you if we use an analogy, each one of them is a different door. There's a hundred doors, but you've only got ninety nine keys. Yeah. The question is, which 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 door do you not have a key to? Yeah, yeah. And how soon can you recognize that? And I think I think that in itself kind of just you know allows you to kind of recognize and understand. Well, there's always going to be something I don't have the answer to yet. Um, and yeah it doesn't have to be you that holds that key because sometimes it could be actually do you know what me and matt are working together matt holds the key that i can't i haven't got access to so and that's let me support matt in giving that player support. yeah the support staff if you just try and do it all yourself you will help a few and not help some of us if you use your holistic team we do mdt team multidisciplinary team you got a lot a lot of staff a lot of opportunity for different experiences, different backgrounds, different cultures, you know, the ability to each player to have someone. And I'm a big believer in a mentor program. You know, each staff member almost having a player that they mentor as well as just coach. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, it's it's to help unlock, like you said, these players that might need something different than what you can offer or what you think they need. And obviously having more variety around. And, and I think the great thing about academies right now is there's a lot more equality and diversity 
increasing. There's a lot of a, there's a lot of equality and diversity in the academy system with players, but the staff have always been very similar. You know, pretty much like me, really. 25 to 35. Um, I'm a bit older than I know, but uh, like a university degree. Do you know what I mean like white guy? Do you know what I mean like a lot of it's that. We're all the best intentions, but sometimes you work with kids who you can't relate to their backgrounds and their culture and their experiences. And actually, having more of an equality diversity there will help those players have people they can relate to, or can, they can relate to the issues they're going through. And actually, we'll get more out of them. And actually, it's mm -hmm. having the trust as a staff or as a person to realise that you haven't got the answer to everything, but that as a group we have, and that if we work together, again, it's this inclusivity. If as a staff we're inclusive and we understand that we've all got our, our strengths, we help the players become that as well, and we help each of them on their journey. And if you get that right, then everyone's enjoying it, and it's a and it's a journey that we go on. Do you know what I mean? And if some of them come out the other end at the top end, we're really proud of it. But like I said, if people come out of it and do really well in whatever they go into, whatever they their kind of niche becomes, then you know you've helped them on the way. Just the worst thing for me is if a player leaves really not enjoying the experience, uh, demoralised, doesn't want to play football anymore. You haven't done that. You haven't done it then. You know what I mean, you ha you haven't helped that player. You've you've actually you know do a disservice to them. And they're young kids ultimately. And I think sometimes we can't forget that we're working with kids. We should be there for them, help them enjoy the environment, and just make the most of the the time that they have with you. Do you know what I mean? I think that's key. All right, brilliant. Definitely, Matt. Fantastic. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, there's a lot in there for people to kind of think about. And certainly, you know, you've given me some things to reflect on. So, uh, massive thank you for that. I don't know if there's anywhere that maybe listeners can get in touch with you, or if they, if they wanted to, or find out a little bit more about you and the work that you do. Yeah, obviously, um, I'm on Twitter. I mean, I used to have a Twitter, quite a long, strong Twitter following, but I got banned, so I'm kind of building my way back up again. But I did used to do a blog quite a lot as well called The White House Address. So if you ever want to go on that, there's a few old articles that might still resonate. Uh, I don't write as much anymore with a family and work and stuff, but I used to love writing. I've uh, got a couple of books on Amazon. If you wanted to check them out as well, just put Matthew Whitehouse in on Amazon and it should come up. Uh, but one's called The Way Forward and one's called Universality, all around coaching and kind of where the game's going and how we can develop players for the future. So hopefully they are benefit for you as well uh and then i'm on twitter i don't even know my twitter handle these days i think it's like m underscore r underscore white house something like that so like i said i used to just be the white house address but um it, it, it like i said I, I i had to come back as a new person uh but no look obviously it's been a pleasure to to, to touch to touch with you and, and connect and have a great chat and it's been really really good and i love talking about coaching and youth development as you can see but i think it's really good that hopefully you know if people can hear it and take something from it then that's brilliant but like I said, I'm always available. If people want to touch base, uh, send me a message. I, I want to help people if they've got any questions. So yeah, just get in touch. But personally, from me to you, Yaz, really thanks for this and really enjoyed it. Amazing. No, likewise, Matt, have a great day, mate. I'll speak to you soon. Brilliant. Cheers, Yaz. Thanks a lot. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of you can tag us in those mentions as well on instagram at the coaches network or on twitter at the coaches net we look forward to hearing from you let us know what you thought about today's episode and until next time guys take care Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details.